Well, I'm glad you're able to be here today on this uh, new year that, you know, it's crazy every time I try to write down, uh, you know, maybe a check or I'm doing something where I have to put a date down for like a couple of weeks. It's hard for me to get into the next year, but it is 2022 and uh, it has come and it's uh, it's always crazy to me. I think they do actually get faster every time, every year that I come to a new year. I think, how did that how did that happen? You know, I can't believe it. It went so quick. But we uh, we do think about the things that, that are, I think, are important to us at the first of the year. Even sometimes when I think, ah, I don't know if I really want to think about that that much. I mean, I'm still kind of trying to conclude a year and start a new year. And it, it is a time for me to stop, pause, consider, and look at myself. And, uh, and, and think about, we think about ourselves, our church maybe, our families, uh, there's a lot of things that you could be thinking about as you come to a new year, and uh, I think that's a, a, a value, and I think we ought to do it at times, and uh, and maybe reflect even more often, you know, than we do. But if you would just bow with me, we're going to spend some time today thinking about um, our lives and where we're going and, and those things. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask for the strength and the ability to communicate clearly what you would have for us to to learn and study uh, today. We thank you for your mercy that you've shown us year after year, and we look at our lives and we know that um, they really are just one sign after another of your continued care and blessing for uh, towards us and watching over us and protecting us and keeping us, and we know you've sustained us to this day, and we want to use uh, every day that you give us life. Uh, to live for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, this has kind of become a pattern for uh, us to to look at this this morning that we're going to look at. And I I find it helpful for me to go back to, and Ryan and I had talked about it, and he had said before, like, I think it would be wise to consider doing this every year because it has the ability for us to stop and consider where we are. And what we've done in the past is, on the first um, Sunday of a, the year, look at uh, that first resolution by Jonathan Edwards. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, and uh, we're going to return to that. And uh, I think it is valuable and helpful. And some of you may say, well, I already know that. It's not a matter of, sometimes it's, it's really not, if you've studied the Bible very long, it's not a matter of, do I know it? The real issue is, like, do you practice it? I mean, are you living it? And if uh, you know it and you're not practicing it, uh, sometimes what that means is you need to review it, like you need to kind of think about it. And if you ever uh, played a sport and you, you, were, um, you learned the mechanics of the sport, uh, some of you may have, like, let's say, 10 tennis, you had really good ground strokes. Well, if you got out of practice, somebody uh, might say, if you were playing on a more kind of intense level, and you're playing like tournaments and stuff, uh, you, you might not have a pro if you're just kind of playing in tournaments, but somebody might say, go, go visit a pro, go take one lesson from a pro, and let them figure out like with you what's going on, you know, and so they'll look and say, wait, hold on just a second, you need to do this or do that, and adjust something just a little bit, and you're like, ah, oh, how did I forget that? Well, I think sometimes in our lives, like when we're studying or thinking about our lives or considering, you might say, oh, I know what we're supposed to be living for. 
Now, you might, we might say to you, like, uh, are you practicing that? Well, I am in this part of my life, but maybe not in that part. And so sometimes it's just good to say, this is what we're about, and this is kind of how somebody thinks about it, and then move through uh, that together. This is a little different than normal. We usually study through a book of the Bible, which we're going to start Colossians very soon. Uh, but this is just kind of thinking about the chief aim of your life. Like, why, why do you exist here? Why do you live? Now, Jonathan Edwards uh, was a theologian, philosopher, and pastor during the 1700s. Uh, he had the opportunity to pastor during the First Great Awakening. If you know anything about him, you'll know that. Some of you, if you're a little older, you may have been in a class where uh, you heard a teacher talk about a, a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And they, they may have looked at it in a negative way and say, look at that, you know, Puritan kind of pre, uh, sermon, and it's silly, and blah, blah, blah. But if you read it, you're like, the hair will be standing up on your head, and you'll be, like, frightened to think about what it would be like to come under God's anger. And so I think it is important. He, he wrote things in a very vivid way, uh, in a very powerful way, and God gave him a mind to be able to think and think clearly. But anyway... He wrote resolutions, 70 of them, before the age of 20. So he was like, grew up around Christian stuff, really, which is a lot of people's story. Until their late teens, they did not come to faith in the sense that, like, he heard all of You can know all the gospel truths, right? And it not grip you, and not grip your heart. You might be able to say, oh, I can answer all those things. I've grown up in church, heard all the stories. I know them. I mean, I know all the Sunday school stories or whatever, but you're like, yeah, but it doesn't grip your life. You're like, well, yeah, it probably doesn't grip my life. Well, Jonathan Edwards, his heart and life was gripped at somewhere around 17, and then in that 18, 19-year-old kind of place, as he's thinking about things, uh, he's saying, I want to live for God. Like, if, if regardless of anything else, any other aspirations in life, I want to live for God. And so he sat down, which was a normal thing of that time period, and maybe not to the extent that he did it, and wrote down these resolutions, 70 of them. And he said, I'm going to read them at the end of every week, at the end of every month, at the end of every year of my life, and consider if I am living in a way that would bring honor and glory to God. So that's, uh, for him, these became kind of checks and balances to examine his thoughts and actions uh, throughout the weeks of his life. And and so for you, it might be helpful to think about uh, things in that way. And uh, I think that's, uh, it's helpful. If you read all 70, some of them you may not even agree with. Again, he was not yet 20. I mean, he's not thought through every single thing. I mean, there's questions about all that. But at the end of the day, I think there's some helpful things to learn from it. So let let me just say a couple other things. One is... Um, people struggle sometimes to be resolute in their Christian life. Uh, and, and maybe there's a couple of reasons. So the first thing to think about is this. For some of you, you might think, I don't want to be legalistic. I, I, don't, I don't want to be uh, like living a life of kind of legalism where I have to live up to all these rules. My whole life was spent around church people uh, giving me rules, and I don't want anything to do with rules. I just want to have a relationship with God. 
I don't want any rules, you know, or something like that. So somebody might say that, but then you might have to say, hold on just a second. Um, if you are doing anything to try to get God to love you, to gain favor with God, if I'm trying to do that to kind of appease him, uh, you are off into legalism. It, that's just the reality. Any time in your life, in your Christian life or journey towards God or whatever, that you're saying, I've got a set of rules, and if I can keep all these rules, God will accept me. Anytime that kind of like creeps into your head and into your thoughts, which it does whether you know it or not, anytime that happens, you're in that, that mode. Because what you're doing is, is you're trying to find acceptance with God apart from the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are putting your hope in human effort rather than the eternal Son of God who came, died, buried, rose again, and it was victorious over all of our enemies. Anytime I'm starting to kind of shift over into trusting in myself rather than trusting in the Christ, that's a problem. But in this case, if you are saying, I want to be pleasing to God, how might I live a life to be pleasing to God? I'm going to, I'm going to be purposeful about that. That's not legalism. That's like the normal Christian life. In light of what God has done for me, how can I offer my life back to him? I want to do that in a way with, I want to live with intensity in that regard. That's the normal Christian life. So I think it's important. Out of gratitude for what God has done for us in Jesus, we long to live a godly life and seek to discipline ourselves for this purpose. It could be as simple as this. God has saved me and he's called, he says to his people, going to church is a blessing. Therefore, I resolve to go to church every Sunday this year. In light of what God has done for me, in light of his saving work, in light of all the blessings that he has shown me, in light of the privilege of being a part of a body, his body, I'm not only just going to go, I want to serve in it. That's not legalism. That is living a life of faith, walking with the Lord. That's what, that's what that is. You're saying, when I walk with the Lord, I'm walking with his church. I want to walk with those people out of gratitude towards God for what he has done. I want to do that. That's not wrong. And so I think it's important. Now, another thing to say is this. In, like, you got to think in th terms of a holy endeavor, maybe you might say. Let's say in any earthly endeavor, if we said, let's build a business. If we said that, would it take planning? Yes. Would it take effort? Yes. Would it take discipline? Yes. Would we have to strive toward a common goal? Yes, any great thing. If we said, let's build a team that can compete at a really high level in a relay race, would that take effort? Yes. Would that take discipline? Yes. Would it take planning? Yes. Does some of y'all do that kind of stuff? Yes. And why would you do something like that? Because you would say, it's worth it. It's worth it. We want to change something. We want to build something. We want to accomplish something. 
when it comes to spiritual things, if you are not trying to appease God, i.e., I want God to accept me, I want to be in relationship with Him by my effort, rather than saying, because God has accepted me, I want to serve Him out of a heart filled with gratitude. If we shift it to say, out of a heart of gratitude, a heart of gratitude says, like, how can I uh, offer my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable uh, form of worship? It, it is the a, a spiritual worship. How can I offer my life back? What's interesting is Paul says, this is what it looks like in light of the mercies of God. You offer your life back. What happens? In Romans 12 through 16, he talks about all the aspects of human life and flourishing and how you offer your life back in those ways. So, resolutions aren't bad. They can be good if you do them with a gratitude in your heart. The other thing is this. You might say something like, well, if I get too crazy about it, I might fall into hypocrisy where I'm like trying to make other people see how good I am. I'll start taking pictures of myself in church, pictures like I'm like trying to like get the camera right, but then close my eyes in prayer. You know, every time I'm doing my devotion, I'm like flipping through the, you know, whatever. If I like mark my little, like, I don't know, maybe I mark my Bible up and take notes and all that kind of stuff, somehow those get maybe in the background of a family photo, like for the year. 2022 spiritual things that I've done. So hypocrisy would be something like, oh, look how great that I uh, am doing before man. So other people will applaud me. Is there a danger? Is there a danger of that? Yes, there could be a danger of legalism. There can be a danger of hypocrisy. But what we might say is all along the way, if we're doing for God, if we're doing our work before the face of God, we are doing it to the glory of God. And you're going to, are you going to mess that up? Yes. Yes. If you live a resolved life, if you get put effort into something, if you like push yourself spiritually in light of the mercies of God shown you and you push hard after those things, are you going to stumble? Yes. Are you going to trip? Yes. All that stuff's going to happen. Are you going to get your mind wrong about what you're supposed to be doing and why you're doing it when people don't respond properly because you busted your tail for some reason and they don't respond properly to you? Are you going to get all like mad about it and be like, I just serve these people? Yes. That's going to be a battle at times and you're going to confess before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to do it for the right reason. So here's the thing. You ready? We should strive for godliness out of gratitude to God for all he has done for us and with the goal of glorifying him, blessing others, and finding joy. Listen to that one more time. We should strive for godliness out of gratitude to God for all he has done for us and with the goal of glorifying him, blessing others, and finding joy. That's why Paul could say, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So you want to live a life that glorifies God, you've got to think in that way. So let's look at this first resolution. I'll, I'm going to uh, 
kind of move you through uh, different things. I, I, I will say this. The Bible, and because I, I just don't think I have time to go through as much as I was going to, but the Bible calls us to discipline ourselves, but it tells us also that God disciplines us. And um, I think it's always important to say discipline. Okay, well, I think about it like this, I guess. If you were, uh, let's say some of you are going to start running uh, because it's the new year, and you're like, I'm going to like shed some weight or whatever, so you're going to start pounding the pavement. Um, doing that is not negative, like in the sense of uh, you're like, um, I don't know, giving yourself a spanking because, okay, I've been bad this year, I better go run right? You're doing it with a positive. It's a positive thing. You're trying to say, if I run, the results will be whatever. I I say that because I think when we think about God's discipline, sometimes people say in their minds, like, God's like chewing me out. Well, God may sometimes like tighten you up. No question, no question at all. But God also is just like, if you're a soldier in his army, and you need to be ready for battle, God is training you. And the other thing just to think about, and that's what he does throughout, he, he trains his people. He's training them because he, he wants them to grow up and mature in all levels. But the other side is, is he has called us to be in constant training ourselves. We're constantly working on those things. So, you just listen to this. First Corinthians nine twenty seven says, "But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others and myself should be disqualified." Titus one eight, be hospitable, a lover of good, self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. First Timothy four seven and eight, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the one to come. And so I think it's just important to say, when you're thinking about like these things, you say, okay, I know there could be some issues with me trying to live a a resolute life, trying to live up to a series of resolutions. But if I do it out of gratitude for my heart, out of gratitude in my heart, with the glory of God in mind and the good of others in mind and my own joy in mind, those are all good and high and holy things. So I must strive to do it. In life, uh, the, the Scripture says that, that God is going to discipline me and I should discipline myself for the purpose of godliness. And so I'm going to put my effort in doing so, trusting that God is doing that also. So I know with God's help, that's what I, that's what I need. With His help, I can do that. All right. So you ready? Uh, I'm, I'm almost there. I, I, I'm going to start with a little preamble in this resolution, which again, this is old school. It's something maybe you never thought about too much, but you may have written a resolution or at least read some. In the preamble, this, he makes a statement before he begins, being sensible that I'm unable to do anything without God's help. I, I'm just going to... Just leave it at that. You can go back and look at it yourself if you want to. He is saying, I can't do this 
without God's help. Everything that I'm trying to do for God's glory, I do with his help standing. And like, I I believe he's behind me. He's like the wind pushing it forward. And so I'm trusting with his help that he will do it. Okay, so let's look at the resolution. Here's what it says. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be the most to the glory of God. That's where it starts. Now, you might say, what does that mean? I think that's a legitimate question. What does it mean to be resolved to live to God's glory? I mean, you would have to define glory. Like, that's kind of the, that's a big deal. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? A lot of times in the Bible, it would have the idea of weight, or brilliance. A lot of times, if you were to say, like, the glory of someone's treasury, if it were in precious metal, you know, in metals, you would say that the he has X amount of pounds in gold. And they would have it be like, like maybe he has 10,000 talents of gold. I don't know how much that'd be right now. But it's it's saying like it's it's the weight of it, and the weight of it shows value. And so there's something about the weightiness of God that, that that you're thinking about when you think that, or the brilliance is another way where you're saying uh, when someone would behold the glory of God and they would see Him in all of its brilliance, they would see Him and say, they oftentimes falling down on their faces. And so what would happen is. Uh, you have to know then who is God, kind of what's his intrinsic glory, what does it mean to be God and all those things. And so there's a lot of different ways we could think about that. Um, one would be, and I, I think it's just important to, to kind of think of it this way, anytime you study the attributes of God, um, th- those help you in this regard. One of the things in the Scripture says he is Infinite, eternal, I mean, if you kind of bring the scriptures together, you would find this. He alone is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He's all of those things. He is infinitely powerful. You know, so we're saying, like, what is God worth? What is his value? Why is God so great? Why is he of the chief concern of someone's life? Why would they be caught up in the glory of God and seeing Him? Why did they long to see more? Like, there's people out there that you like, they saw God do amazing things, someone like Moses, and he's like, show me more. Show me more. Just give me a little glimpse into who you are. That's what he said in Exodus 33. Please show me your glory. Exodus 33, verses 19 through 23, God even says, like, look, Moses, you can't behold my glory. You can't see me, the fullness of who I am. You can't fully grasp who I am. That It's too much for you. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he said, uh, I mean, the, the angels were there, and they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
It means uh, there are places in the world that you can go and you can maybe stand on top of a mountain and see the glory of that scenery. But as soon as you leave that place, you don't see it anymore. Uh, I remember uh, hearing John Piper in a sermon, I think, say something like, nobody stands at the foot of the Grand Canyon and looks back at their Mercedes and, like, is in awe. It's just, that's insane. Because it's not compared to this. That, but, but what he's saying is, all of those things, all of those places, all that you have ever seen in all of the world, if you could somehow have the ability to have the visibility of all of those things, those are just kind of, a, a glimpse into his glory. And so from an intrinsic level, we're saying God is so glorious. I can't, the whole earth is filled with it. it it's, you can see it on display. But what's interesting in, this, in the life of Job, when he is visiting with God, Job wants to understand things that are not even tangible to the eye. And God says, if you don't know what's going on in the natural realm, how do you expect to understand like things that are not like that, the spiritual things of life? And so I think it's just important for us to understand. So here's the deal. He wants to live to God's glory. He first has to see God's glory. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to behold the glory of God. I think sometimes in our church context, wherever we might be, there are times where if we're not careful as churches, we will make it of so much about you, the individual sitting here, that nobody's really seeing a, a glimpse of God because as, as revealed in Scripture, nobody's seeing God. And when you kind of lead people to not really see God, they're not enamored by Him, therefore they don't want to live to His glory. Or they have a very weird way of thinking about that. But the greater your knowledge of God... The, the, the more you're able to ascribe glory to God. That's really what he wants to do. He wants to live his life to the glory of God. He wants, to, he wants his life to give glory to God. He wants his life to point other people to God. That, that's what he wants. Matthew 5.16 says this, In the same way, let your light so shine before others, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The greater your knowledge of God, the greater your praise of God. So, like, if, you're, if your uh, Christian life is one of, like, I'm going to kind of, I mean, I'll, I'm not going to spend a lot of time making much of God. He is, he's uh, kind of a, a, an afterthought to our life. He's great in time of trouble, you know, that kind of thing. It really has to do with like who you actually think God is. And so like if you understand who God is and we see him in all of his glory as the great, infinite, eternal, unchangeable being of the universe who created us, sustains us, and redeems us, when I can fully see that, then you say the natural response is how do I give glory to him? Well, it would be acting in a way that would honor his name, that other people would see and understand and believe and love and treasure God. Now, 
you might say, man, am I going to live for God? Then I have to give up on myself? I mean, I have plans here. I have things I want to do. I have whatever. You know, you might have this long list, and it's like, but what is best for you? If God is this holy and high and exalted creator, sustainer, and redeemer of the universe, the best thing in the world for you is not to choose to go your own way and forget about him. Rather, the, the right and proper response would be to say, like, the most amazing thing to me would ever would be to, be to draw as close as I possibly could to God. That's the place where there's the most happiness, joy, pleasure, all of those things. Knowing Him becomes the chief concern. It becomes the chief aim. You think about that for a moment. It is, he believes, this is what Jonathan Edwards believes, it is for his own good, profit, and pleasure. It is for his good. It is for his benefit. To live for God, it is for his benefit and his benefit alone. When you see somebody living for the glory of God, they're often the most happy people on the earth. When they're really totally devoted to living for the Lord, they are more happy than others. Somebody that uh, maybe even in a church that's kind of a begrudging a servant or somebody that just kind of like sits in a few and thinks about how other people should be serving them. Those type people are some of the saddest people you'll ever meet. They really are because it like that. How does that going to uh, that's not a place of delight. Self being self like oh, making much of my, me is not really where you want to be. It is not the place of greatest delight because you were designed to delight in God and live for Him. Third, just thinking about this as you're moving through this, he says, in the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many myriads uh, or ages, or sorry, of ages hence. So how long does he say he wants to do it? Continually and for really forever. He never wants to stop doing that. He does not... Time is of no consideration. If, if, if and, and I, you know, you've been around people maybe, and you've maybe been this way yourself before. You'll be like, "I'm going to get to the things of God when I have time to do it," and they, you know, those kind of people never find the time. I mean, I just that's just honestly, we never. If you don't have. <laughs> There's a lot of things like that in your life. You'll never find the time. It will never be there. He says, I'm not considering time in this equation. I will never have the time. It's it's almost like if you were to, I don't know, serve people or give to something or whatever, you'll never have the money, you'll never have the time, you'll never have the energy, you'll never have any of that stuff. It's crazy. It just won't be there. Until, like, you are so enamored by the fact that God is worthy of you giving your life to Him. And that that is the greatest place for you to be. In the center of His will. Seeking to honor Him. Until you get there. Like, you're not going to devote anything to it. And he says, I don't want to ever think about the, con- the thought. I don't want the thought of time to get in the way 
of me doing this. I want to think of this in light of like saying, not only in this life, but in the one to come, that I will live to the glory of God. Fourth thing, kind of, as you're moving through his resolution, he says, I resolve to do this, whatever I think to be to, to my duty, and the most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. So here's the other thing. He's wanting to glorify God. He wants to do it uh, for his own good. He wants to do it without worried about being worried about time because he thinks that's the, it's irrelevant. And the next thing is, is he knows that that's the place that benefits the most people. Living to the glory of God will always lead to benefiting others. It just, it just does. Uh, as Jesus on this earth lived to glorify God, when he did that, what did it do? It benefited others. You say, yeah, he fed some people. It's like, that's not it, bro. I mean, it is one of them. I mean, that's, that's a, that is one thing he did. But that's not the, the it was not like he, I, I came to feed people. That's not the primary purpose. Jesus, like, lived to the glory of God by following him all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. He laid down his life and saved people. And you can't, you and I can't do that. We cannot save people from their sins. But we can offer our lives in service to others. And we know that if we get closer, if you're pressing into God, 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 you keep pressing into God, and you're drawing close to God, and you're saying, let me offer my life back to you, God. It, offering your life to God will always manifest itself in you, you blessing other people. It, it, just, it just does. It is a, a part of the process. It's the way it works because God desires that you serve people. It's the way that you serve him in many ways. It's both tangible and physical, emotional, mental, like spiritual, all those different things. And you have so many places to do that. Um, it's just crazy, the opportunities. I, I got an opportunity this last week to bless somebody and uh, they actually already wrote a note and sent it, uh, sent something to me. And um, it was like, you made my day, which was something I don't even think about most days, to be quite honest. You know, but it's like one of those things where it was just this moment, I just knew, oh, I need to do that. And and uh, it would be honoring to the Lord, it will bless this person. And it did. And you're like, man, I wish I did that more often, you know. I wish I lived like that more often. You're not, if you're one of those people that kind of are saying, I'm going to reserve my energy, I'm going to reserve my resource, I'm going to reserve, and you're always reserving everything. We've got, we live in scarcity. I'm going to live in scarcity with my time. I'm going to live in scarcity with my money. I'm going to live in scarcity with every single thing in my life. It's scarcity, and somebody's going to take it, and our family has to have, you know, and everything's like that, and you're like locking the doors and checking everything and keeping everybody out. And everything out of your life that would somehow cost you something. I just you just need to think for a moment. You're not living to the glory of God and the good of others. You're just not. And it's not for your benefit. 
I have visited with people over the years that I thought you've preserved your life and lost it. You have preserved it and lost it. Because you wasted it. And God doesn't want them to come to Him in the end with all the ducks in a row that don't matter. That in the end will burn up in the flames of the destruction of this present dark age that's passing away and the new age is coming in. It's all going to be gone. And so we can preserve and protect and keep ourselves away from all these different things, from people, from, from work that's difficult, from things that cost us our time. And we can fill our lives with stuff that it helps us accumulate and build. And, you know, all, you, you can do all these things in this life to ensure that you almost have the best life in this moment. But honestly, what you don't know is you might be losing out on the things that matter most. And, and, it, and this is going to sound funny. And it's not just your family. Uh, do you understand that? Like sometimes people say, well, like what we did was we poured all into our family, 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 family. And it's like, okay, but you could like, Pour everything into your family and never do that to the glory of God. And never think about God. You could have the most intact everything family and try to keep it all like just and and not really care that much about the Lord. And he's saying, no, I want to live to the glory of God. I know that's going to bless my life. I don't care how much time it takes. But I also know that it will benefit mankind. I mean, that's kind of the deal is you, you kind of want to build a healthy family life that is screaming to your family, we want to glorify God and benefit others. The family's not the goal. The family is, a, is not the goal. The Lord is the goal. His, his name, His renown is the goal. And we are wanting to give our lives in service to him while serving others and whoever we have influence over i.e maybe at this point if you have young children your children set before them a life of living to the glory of god and serving other people the next part he says here is resolved to do so whatever difficulties i meet with how many soever and how great soever What's he saying? Matthew ten twenty two says, Jesus says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew ten twenty five. It is not enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? 2 Timothy three twelve. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What's he saying? I know that even if, like living to the glory of God for my own profit and pleasure, 
for the whole of my duration with the understanding that this is to bless mankind in general, I know that it will not be easy. Inside of me is not going to be easy. The outside's not going to be easy. That, that's a big deal, like just to say to yourself, my flesh is going to rise up. The world's going to be against me. There's some kind of spiritual, satanic realm that's against that. And yet, I'm striving to do that because I know that's the place to be. I know it is. I know it's a place of greatest joy, greatest privilege. It is the place, the highest of honor to live there. It is the place where it gives glory, most glory to God. And on the other side of the trouble is all of the glories of heaven, and I know that. And so I just encourage you to think about that. So think maybe this week, and when you're thinking about it, think in terms of maybe you say, okay, I've got this big overarching theme in my mind. Now maybe you have to kind of zoom in and say, what area in my attitude or in my responsibilities or in a relationship, what area might need some work? Where, where do I need to really do it? And, and, and what would it look like for me to work on it? Not like, well, if so-and-so would work on it, then I'll start working, you know. Not that. What area could you work in or work on to say, how could I most glorify God, model, mirror God, serve God, honor God, bless these people without saying, I'll do that for 30 days, but if I don't get anything out of it by that, like, you can forget it. Like, not that kind of attitude, right? But, like, what would it be? What would that thing be? And if there is a thing like that, it might be important to kind of chart out, like, where would you want to go? What steps would you want to take? So I encourage you, live a resolved life to glorify God, to serve Him with your whole heart for your whole life. And as you do that, just identify an area where you can grow in this coming year. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom, direction, as we seek to do what would be honoring to your name. Thank you for the group that's here today. I pray that you would be uh, honored by their life, that they would live in a way that would bring um, glory and honor to you in everything that they do. And we, we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand with me at this time. Every week we take